from the Western Riverside Council of Governments. I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CODcast. Homelessness continues to be a rising issue in Southern California, creating public health, public safety, and humanitarian complications. Its multifaceted and systemic nature can be overwhelming to try and tackle. So how can local agencies address homelessness in Western Riverside County? How have others addressed this issue before? Today, we are pleased to welcome former City Council member Chris Murray from the City of Anaheim, who played an instrumental role in addressing homelessness in Anaheim. So, Chris, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Great to join you. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you a Southern California native? I am. I grew up in Southern California and uh, graduate of California State University Long Beach and our public schools before that. Okay. uh, been in working on behalf of public agencies and the private sector in Southern California for over 25 years. Okay. The last 10 uh, as a public official, mm-hmm. first for the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and then the last eight as a uh, councilwoman and mayor pro tem in the city of Anaheim. Okay. And Anaheim is the oldest and largest city in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So you have a pretty long-standing history of Southern California and just I do. really some deep roots here. Yes. I actually also, during my capacity in my tenure as a councilwoman, chaired the Orange County Council of Governments and oh. worked very closely with your team here at WRCOG. Okay. And in many ways, Orange County was emulating awesome. the work that, and vision that WRCOG was putting in place for their members. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so cool to see the collaborative nature, not only in Western Riverside, but really across Southern California. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many commonalities um, that really make it easy to collaborate in those ways as well. Absolutely. It's so mm-hmm. important. Many of our issues, including the one we're going to talk about today, homelessness, mm-hmm. does not stop and start at a city or a county boundary. Mm -hmm. It really uh, crosses uh, a region and is something we need to come together as a region to address. So kind of jumping into that a little bit. So up until a few months ago, a homeless community centered in affluent Orange County, of all places, mm-hmm. um, grew substantially in size along the Santa Ana Riverbed. And so, and eventually it actually received national attention. So mm-hmm. can you just share a little bit more about um, what factors contributed to that growth? Maybe even just a number of how big did this community actually grow to be? So it's interesting. The um, What ultimately got the, the national media attention was the encampments along the Santa Ana River Trail, which I know mm-hmm. the Santa Ana River Trail uh, is also uh, a major um, geographic area in Western Riverside as well. Mm-hmm. So, But prior to that, as we were all dealing with this in our region, is, a, is an escalating housing crisis. And there's no question that uh, as housing stock became less and less available, as rents continue to rise, um, and um, just a number of factors that have led. And it was on the also on it, we have, we have to remember it doesn't seem that long ago, but it was pretty impactful. The worst recession that our country has faced mm-hmm. since the Great Depression mm-hmm. was uh, concluding in 2010. Uh, and we just had a number of people affected both economically and for other factors uh, that found themselves in a capacity of homelessness. So in 2014, um, Anaheim was dealing with an, a growing number within our city boundaries, and we uh, 
came together with city staff, elected officials, stakeholders, nonprofits, faith-based groups to put a program in place called Coming Home Anaheim and worked and contracted with an incredible group called CityNet, mm-hmm. who'd done a lot of good work in Long Beach and Los Angeles that provides literally ground-level, street-level case management day-to-day mm-hmm. for every individual who is homeless in mm-hmm. our community. And what what's so important about that is, and CityNet's work, is no one or very few people who are homeless are homeless for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a very individualized uh, situation, and they need, those who are in this capacity, need uh, really tailored uh, mm-hmm. approaches to help them get back on their feet and, and get back into society. So CityNet is, has done exceptional work. And so we started working in 2014 and really trying to address it in a constructive way. We also put in a program called Drug Free Anaheim so that mm-hmm. individuals who were dealing with addiction, even if they had criminal histories or were on parole, mm-hmm. could still go to any police station in the city and ask for assistance, and the city would help connect them with rehabilitative care without immediate ramifications. They didn't have to worry about any kind of criminal penalty and seeking help because Mm -hmm. it's so important if an addict is willing and ready to get help Mm -hmm. um, that they be in a capacity to do so. Otherwise, their situation spirals, crime spirals, etc. So we really felt it was important to take a a proactive and compassionate approach Mm -hmm. to addiction uh, and provide a pathway home for those dealing with addiction Um, and that's been hugely successful that even though Orange County is still perceived as being affluent Mm -hmm. we have pockets of serious urban issues Mm -hmm. uh, urban areas with serious urban challenges Mm -hmm. I should say and um, so in the county's history no community had been willing to put in place a full-service year-round shelter. Our homeless population during the winter split between an armory, a federal armory, uh, army in um, Santa Ana and an armory in Fullerton. Mm-hmm. And that was really their only option during mm-hmm. winter months. And as this population grew, that became less and less tenable, especially when you were we were starting to see more and more families mm-hmm. in that situation. So... Uh, the county started looking at where can we put a full service shelter? Where would that work? And Fullerton had looked at some parcels. It didn't work out. Santa Ana had looked at some parcels. It didn't work out. So Anaheim actually stepped up. We have an industrial area with transit access and freeway accessible uh, to build um, bridges at Kramer Place, which is now open, a 200-bed full-service year-round shelter. And we worked with the County Board of Supervisors and county staff to do that. Uh, and got that up and running in 2016, 2017, roughly it opened. Mm-hmm. And and so that all preceded what happened on the riverbed. Or mm. the riverbed sort of started to take off and those encampments started to form and grow 2016, 2017 and really get to a crisis point in 2018. So that's sort of the history. Yeah, definitely. So at the peak point or at the highest point, how many homeless people do you think were in Anaheim or even along the Santa Ana River Trail? So the point in time counts vary, and mm-hmm. while um, you know cities are assigned based on the point in time counts, which is what you know it's it's a it's a literal point in time. Whereas <laughs> I think you've participated, I've participated, but volunteers and and city and county staff go in and really meet and count each individual who is living on the street and mm-hmm. to get an effective uh, head count for social services and and other aid that can be provided. Uh, and it ranged from 900 to 1,100 roughly in Anaheim at a peak. Mm-hmm. But um, 
it's really important to note that a lot of our homeless population are very transitory. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they move back and forth between cities quite frequently. Mm -hmm. How many of those literally are from Anaheim um, was was less than that, Mm -hmm. significantly less than that. But Mm -hmm. nonetheless, we had a responsibility. Um, Federal, I mean, federal law requires it. A lot of people get frustrated. Why is it our responsibility? But federal law requires if an individual is not housed in your community, you are responsible as Mm -hmm. a city to provide those services. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I'm sure that there were a lot of ideas being thrown around in that time of how do we even start to address this issue? Mm -hmm. How do we ensure the safety of of the public, including the homeless population and just people who are in their homes? And so what were some of those ideas of how to address those issues? Um, And I guess who was behind them? What were their intended purposes? What's kind of your take on those kinds of approaches? Well, especially when the riverbed uh, started to escalate uh, and those encampments really started to become tent cities. I mean, mm-hmm. they became structural. I mean, it, I spent a lot of time down on that riverbed with CityNet and some of our case management workers and the county staff, and there were tents down there with solar panels. I mean, wow. people were planning to stay for a while and, and generators and all, all kinds of uh, infrastructure around mm-hmm. their tents. I mean, mm-hmm. these were becoming permanent. And there were a number of activists who felt that we should just put porter potties down there and let them be. I oppose that, and I really recommend that local government oppose uh, any type of permanent tent uh, structure or city because you can't control both the public health and public safety aspects of that. Uh, We had, and just to give you a real brief overview, we had uh, MRSA virus, uh, which spreads very quickly, Mm -hmm. rampant drug use, thousands upon thousands of needles, Mm -hmm. as far as the eye could see, uh, which were a public health threat to anybody who was walking down there with their families or riding their bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had uh, prostitution, drug dealing, all kinds of things like that. It wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's just the criminal aspects. Mm -hmm. Those tents extend, those tent encampments extended for well over a couple of miles at the peak Mm -hmm. and all that separated them from again miles of communities in Anaheim, Orange and Santa Ana and Fullerton was a cinder block wall. Mm -hmm. So if you're living right on the other side of that you are dealing with noise, you are dealing with debris, you're dealing with human waste, uh, you're dealing as a resident with um, an awful lot of property crime Mm -hmm. and the residents were in a state of crisis. They really were. They were um, living really in a, in a terror situation mm-hmm. every single day. And mm-hmm. so that's how Operation Home Safe came to be. And that's when I developed a program with city staff and we called for a state of emergency to pull in state and federal resources mm-hmm. to address a problem that was being ignored because the riverbed was technically county property and flood control property and not municipal property. And therefore we had basically subsisted for two years with different jurisdictions pointing the finger and saying it's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the resident's problem, and we had to address it. And it was a human crisis for those living in that condition as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, totally. I think that there's a lot of almost mystery behind what goes on in a homeless encampment, what goes on by the river trail. (laughs) And so you mentioned that you spent some time walking, walking the river trail. So can you just explain the stories, the people you met, the stories you heard, maybe experiences, um, just to paint more of a picture, a realistic picture of what that's actually like. You know, what's sad is 
it's it's so diverse the mm-hmm. population that exists in a, an encampment situation like that. Uh, there certainly were a lot of people dealing with drug addiction. There were quite a few parolees. There were also veterans. There mm-hmm. were emancipated foster kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite diverse, mm-hmm. um, and the level of services when those encampments started were pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, fast forward, I can walk you through some of the great programs we have in place and the number of facilities mm-hmm. we have in place, and, and the county's got much more on the horizon that we're working on. Um, but at that time when it was forming, there weren't a lot of options for people, uh, and uh, it was pretty dire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I took part, um, we were mentioning it earlier, but I took part recently in the Riverside Point in Time Count, and it was really eye-opening just to be able to have a conversation with someone in really different circumstances than myself and just see them as a person. And I think that was really, it was really eye-opening. Like, he's like, yeah, I know that these are all the services that are offered, but like, it's just like it's a waiting game. Like, I don't even know what my next step is. And so how often we heard that even in my experience. And so, um, totally there's this, um, there can be a lot of miscommunication and like what's actually happening because each case and each person is so different from the next person. They are. And there is a public perception that somebody who's homeless has basically chosen that. And there's no Mm -hmm. question. There are what are termed service resistant individuals who want to live off the grid Mm -hmm. um, and, and don't want help and will refuse help. And quite frankly, they have in, in America a civil liberty and a right to refuse help, but they don't have a right to cause a public haste, a public safety or public health threat Mm -hmm. to others. And so that's the fine balance. The vast majority of people I've met uh, who are homeless want help Mm -hmm. and are uncertain about where to go to get it. There are so many factors that are leading to that. We have Mm -hmm. these early parole programs that the voters approved, Propositions 47 and 57, uh, preceded by uh, an Assembly Bill 109 that um, you know we had, we're dealing with extraordinary levels of prison overcrowding in California, and therefore, uh, if um, these ballot measures were put forward and people voted for them to allow early release, but the early release came with no housing, it came mm-hmm. with no job, it came with no services, and therefore it became these individuals were just basically returned to where they were arrested, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden all of our cities had to deal with uh, the prison overcrowding ended up being on our public streets. Mm-hmm. That's how it was dealt with and it wasn't the most effective approach. Mm -hmm. We have an opioid crisis in America uh, that is escalating annually and uh, when individuals become addicted to opioids, the only thing that mirrors that on the street uh, is heroin Mm -hmm. and so a heroin addiction has has come out of that opioid crisis as well and it's really devastating and destroying lives. Um, And then we have, you know, the most, we're living in one of the most expensive places Mm -hmm. in in the country, Mm -hmm. cost of live from a cost of living standpoint. And you have all these factors sort of merging that create a homeless crisis that we have to address with substantive Mm -hmm. programs. So then with your experience, knowing the vast variety of factors that are going into just the homelessness issue and meeting people who were homeless, how did that impact really your strategy of really trying to solve and remedy the issue? And what was that final strategy? 
Well, it, it started, so let me walk you through Operation Home Safe. Our, our assistant city manager and I, I you know, we, we actually talked over a weekend, and it was actually my aide, her name's Ariana Barrios, <laughs> and she called me and she said, okay, I know you're pulling your hair out, I got a crazy idea. I'm like, I love it, well, let's get crazy at <laughs> Go this for it. We gotta do something, right? <laughs> and she said, let's call for a state of emergency. And I, I didn't realize, even as a local official after six years, seven years at that point on the job, that we could do that, that we were authorized to do that. And so mm-hmm. we called our city attorney and our assistant city manager on that Saturday morning. Is this possible? Can we do it? Yes, we can. And we started formulating, how do we bring this forward? Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, I don't want to ring an alarm bell uh, and call for a state of emergency if we don't have an action plan mm-hmm. on how to address it. Mm-hmm. And so we literally spent the next few days um, and we pulled in um, the county's staff, we pulled in our own legal team at the city, we pulled in city net and stakeholders, and we said, how can you, how can we construct an action plan that will make a substantive difference? And we want to start with services and providing, you know, true compassionate service, mm-hmm. but we also want to make it very clear for the residents mm-hmm. that there is a definitive stop Uh, on this situation that we are going to eliminate these encampments they are not sustainable and we're going to put an end to it and so we came up with this program with a 15-point action plan called operation home safe Mm -hmm. and safe stands for services aid fair warning and then enforcement Mm -hmm. and we um, wrote up this plan and got all of the brightest minds in the county and the city to uh, to provide input, mm-hmm. and it was very very collaborative. Uh, we even reached out to the neighboring cities around Anaheim for their input and assistance, especially from the law enforcement uh, mm-hmm. side of it. And we brought it forward to my city council, and at that point, literally we had a petition with over fourteen thousand residents urging the council to approve it, mm-hmm. uh, and the council approved it unanimously. And we were able to move forward with Operation Home Safe in September of 2017 mm-hmm. and, 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 and launch that, mm-hmm. call for the state of emergency. And all of a sudden, the whole world was watching. Like It was mm-hmm. clear from a media standpoint because a lot of these encampments were in the shadow of the Big A and the Honda Center and right. these world-class um, athletic teams and all of the residents and families that were parking in such close proximity and it was getting a lot of press attention before that but it what really got people to pay attention and got resources mobilized and people working together was the media attention that followed when we called for the state of emergency mm-hmm. so i you know you don't want to do that it's an alarming thing to call for mm-hmm. um but i say if you ever are in that point as an official listening to this broadcast that you make sure you have an action plan in place and you get, again, pull your brightest minds in your room, have everyone contribute to it, have everyone on board so you're all rowing in the same direction, and then move forward. Mm-hmm. Literally from September of 2017 to February of 2018, we helped shelter, and again, when I say we, I'm talking county, cities, uh, nonprofits, faith-based groups, social services at all levels of government, we mm-hmm. uh, helped shelter over 1,000 individuals that were living in those encampments, and then the county was able to come in, remediate and restore, and return the riverbed and the river trail to mm-hmm. public use, so bike trails and families and, mm-hmm. and everyone to enjoy, the in general public. And all of the communities that lived on the other side of that cinder block wall, their lives went back to, the, you know, the quality of life for those individuals was restored as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So quick question for you. In the Operation Home Safe Plan, was housing a part of that um, plan to begin with? 
So um, Operation Home Safe uh, was to deal with the immediate crisis. Got it. Now the city has been work had been working since 2014 on a more global approach mm-hmm. to homelessness that did include a housing component. I see. And and not just housing workforce housing at all levels of that spectrum but what's called transitional and permanent supportive housing as well. Mm-hmm. And and yes, that has all been part and parcel of our larger plan. Operation Home Safe was literally a targeted mm-hmm. focused temporary program like Mm -hmm. it really had a very definitive timeline we wanted Mm -hmm. to give residents total assurance that this wasn't going to be something that we just study for years and get reports on and meet and greet and that this thing would continue to languish the situation would languish for Mm -hmm. for two more years they'd already been living under these conditions for two years Mm -hmm. those in the encampment had already been living under those conditions Mm -hmm. for two years it had to stop Mm -hmm. and and ultimately how we were able to have that hard stop Mm -hmm. was a gentleman by the name of judge david o'carter uh who uh who's it was his courtroom that was selected for some of the lawsuits the activists filed against the cities Mm -hmm. and because he was in the mix and took an extraordinary leadership role uh he was able basically because he had the authority to do it, hold everybody accountable to what their commitments would be and mm-hmm. then enforce an end date, which was literally around Valentine's Day of 2018. Mm-hmm. So Just about a year then. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, so as you've even um, explained a little bit, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced as well, there's a lot of passion in the communities around the issue of homelessness, attitudes mm-hmm. towards how to address the issue, run the whole gamut. Either right. people think that we need to devote resources to helping them or we give them no res- resources at all. Right. And so how, how would you respond to these like pendulum-oriented tendencies of the public voices that on one side, homeless people are, are can be lazy and don't deserve the help, and then on the other side that calls for understanding and more humanitarian approaches it just keeps swinging so how do you kind of navigate that aspect of it as well well first what I always share with residents um, because it, it does run the spectrum of mm-hmm. people's perception of, of those who are homeless and and really what their personal interaction has been with it mm-hmm. you know up yeah. to this point so um, what I share with them is regardless of how we feel about an individual who's homeless federal law requires a city to provide service and aid to a homeless individual. It's, it's, there's no gray area there. Mm-hmm. We have to do it. If a city doesn't do it, then a federal uh, injunction can be put in place to prevent a city from enforcing its anti-camping and loitering ordinances. Mm-hmm. And that's when you see the encampments pro- uh, crop up. Mm-hmm. And that's a far worse situation mm-hmm. than trying to find immersive, permanent supportive housing and ultimately longer term and appropriately zoned workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really caution folks against one-size-fits-all approaches. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, Home Safe was solely about dealing with a crisis in, in those encampments on that riverbed. Uh, our larger policy in Anaheim, our larger approach has been how do we work with each neighborhood to address homelessness literally on a neighborhood-by-neighborhood basis mm-hmm. in a way that um, doesn't overly burden any one neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And when you look at permanent supportive housing that addresses those who are, whether it's 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 really unfortunate in this country how many veterans are homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the ability to end homelessness for veterans in mm-hmm. this country, and and we absolutely have a moral obligation to do that. And and it's and it's an incredibly cost effective thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have an awful lot of emancipated foster kids who really have nowhere to go once they age out of the system. And we have 
an ongoing and, and decades-long issue with not enough mental health and addiction services in the mm-hmm. state of California. And so you have all the above, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just encourage residents to understand that we have an obligation as municipal leaders, uh, as office holders, your cities, uh, don't get to turn a blind eye. We don't get to just say, you know, go get a job. It's That's not an option. And I know residents would would in many residents, not all, because a lot want to find a compassionate, and I would say most want mm-hmm. to find a compassionate solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who get frustrated, and I understand that because we haven't, at least in Anaheim where I served, we have an awful lot of working poor, working two and three jobs, and and they're doing everything they can to make ends meet, and they see others getting you know HUD vouchers that that aren't working, that aren't mm-hmm. you know contributing, that aren't paying taxes. Mm-hmm and uh, maybe doing drugs or other criminal activity and adjacent to them, and it's frustrating. I mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. But we do have a federal obligation. If we're going to enforce public safety and our, canti- our anti-camping and loitering ordinances, federal law requires that we have a bed for every single individual who's homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So much like here in Western Riverside County, I'm sure that in Anaheim or even like you're saying in the surrounding cities as well, there are so many organizations, whether that be nonprofits or cities themselves or faith-based organizations that were really trying to put forward um, really beneficial efforts towards the homelessness issue. So how do you um, gauge success when so many different, it seems like siloed agencies and organizations are working separately on the same issue trying to do the same thing does that make sense no it is and, yeah. and that has actually exacerbated the problem mm-hmm. you know we many communities are dealing with what we were dealing with which is no jurisdiction sort of stepping up and taking the lead everybody's saying it's their problem not mm-hmm. mine and that just allows an unbelievable escalation of these problems then you you have the other end of the spectrum where everybody's engaging you got a million chefs in the kitchen and therefore mm-hmm. getting to effective solutions and quite frankly cost effective mm-hmm. solutions becomes a challenge as well mm-hmm. uh, so I, I really encourage communities and what we've been able to effectively do in Orange County over the last couple of years is come together and really find cooperative approaches mm-hmm. it's not perfect we're still hitting and missing overall but one of the things I was proud to be a part of in Orange County uh, other than you know Operation Home Safe and getting our first full service shelter open mm-hmm. was working with um, all 34 cities in the county on state legislation to create what is now because it passed uh, and was signed by the governor state legislation to create the Orange County fin- uh, Housing Finance Trust mm-hmm. that will be governed by local officials and it will be a place where all funding, state, federal, and local, as well as charitable donations mm-hmm. can be um, centralized so that when cities have projects that are that do have community support, that are mm-hmm. entitled and properly zoned, mm-hmm. but maybe have a financing gap and a city can't afford to burden their general fund, then the city can go to a, the finance housing trust mm-hmm. And that funding can be provided. And it was just, you know, projects will have to meet mm-hmm. certain criteria uh, and they will have to be, um, you know, in the arena of very uh, permanent supportive housing, mm-hmm. well, temporary emergency, uh, permanent supportive housing and or very low income housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are ways to do that that are immersive and don't burden communities with large, oversized homeless mm-hmm. shelters. <laughs> 
So with the success experienced in Orange County, what is your perspective on the long-term outlook on homelessness in California? Maybe best practices? What would you recommend for Western Riverside? That was a lot of questions. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> but we're just eager to hear from you about just your insight on the homelessness issue. Well, one, there are no simple fixes. Mm-hmm. There just aren't. And I think what's important is to start with um, developing an action plan that's tailored to your community. Mm-hmm. And, and that step one of that is to identify who's in charge uh, and, and getting the buy-off of, of the jurisdictions, whether it's multi-jurisdictions or one, who is that person going to be? In Orange County, we have uh, a woman named Susan Price who oversees all of the, um, the, the county's uh, homeless programs and, and community services that service the homeless. At, in Anaheim, as part of Operation Home Safe, we identified our assistant city manager and empowered her with the authority to mm-hmm. make immediate decisions and to be nimble and to be able to have some authority within a governing document, a policy and action plan mm-hmm. to be able to move quickly to address these issues. Uh, and it really is about getting out in the community and identifying locations that don't impact schools or um, or or uh, schools or residential neighborhoods, and there's plenty of places to go uh, where you can um, identify places for temporary or permanent supportive housing. But those, the best thing I think we did uh, from a constructive standpoint at our bridges at Kramer Place, our first full-service shelter, mm-hmm. we co-located all of our social service agencies there. So whether you're a veteran and you need veterans benefits, if you need Social Security, if you needed Medicare, if you're an emancipated foster child and you have still had benefits, if, um, you know, regardless of um, the service needs you had, mm-hmm. we would co-locate those services so that that individual was getting those wraparound care services, mm-hmm. as well as medical, mental health, and rehabilitative services as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's very important that, I mean, you, we, you have to have a mix of what's called low barrier to provide immediate emergency temporary relief for mm-hmm. those who are living on the streets that may be dealing with addiction and other things. But our, our, our facility at Bridges said uh, that you had to you couldn't bring drugs, you couldn't bring alcohol, you needed to be sober. Mm -hmm. And so you might end up in a rehabilitative facility before you were placed at Bridges where you could then move into job training and permanent supportive housing. Mm -hmm. So there are layers to how to do this effectively. Totally. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's layers, it's tailoring, it's Mm -hmm. making sure that the solutions that we're bringing forward to our communities, they're tailored to our communities. That's kind of the secret sauce that isn't too secret. (laughs) It isn't. It really isn't. And and honestly, it really boils down to common sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we can't do these one-size-fits-all Twitter-based approach policies. It Mm -hmm. just doesn't work, especially on an issue as complex Mm -hmm. as as somebody who's become homeless. Mm -hmm. There are so many reasons, and it might be even with one individual multifaceted. They Mm -hmm. might be dealing with addiction, but really the underlying issue might be a mental health issue Mm -hmm. or a domestic violence issue Mm -hmm. or any other number. Um, PTSD as a veteran, Mm -hmm. you know, and while they look like an addict right now, they were serving us, you know, they were serving our country and protecting our civil liberties at some point, and something traumatic happened to them, and they're having trouble trans- transitioning and adjusting when they come home. So mm-hmm. I just ask and urge people to really view it through the lens of we don't know what the path was that that person took that led them to this condition, mm-hmm. but we we're a country with incredible resources, and we need to find pathways to help them home. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think that that um, perspective is, it's really freeing when you think about it because it right. is, it boils down to common sense. Right. Living in a homeless encampment that has public safety and public health, mm-hmm. um, like you've mentioned, that has some real complications there, not right. only for the hom- homeless population, but for the residents that are living close by. And right. living in those encampments, that is not, <laughs> that is not. Good. Yeah, and I really need to underscore for those who are listening, particularly public officials, that um, don't let those encampments grow. Once they grow, there are Mm -hmm. legal rights, uh, both state and federal, for individuals living in that condition, and it becomes harder and harder to remedy it. So um, it's really important the second you see those that you're getting services, you know, really targeted in there. Uh, helping those individuals find a safe place, an mm-hmm. appropriate place to sleep, and and enforcing anti-camping uh, laws and ordinances. Those are critical because that's everybody's public safety to have mm-hmm. those ordinances in place. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be sure. on the podcast today. Yeah. Do you have any final remarks before we sign off? No, just uh, again, uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, I've loved working with WRCOG over the years. You guys really lead the way on public policy and a number of Uh, factors for Southern California and I've always enjoyed our working relationship. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. The Western Riverside Council of Governments, also known as WRCOG, exists to unify the Western Riverside County so that it can speak with a collective voice on important issues that affect its members. For more information on WRCOG and the CogCast, please visit us at www.wrcog.us.